ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome to the show where Nate gets picky about all of the co-host microphones right before the show and we go live late. So, <laughs> so picky. Uh, well, I mean, Jason had like a vacuum machine or vacuum cleaner going on in the background, so we had to fix that. That's a slight exaggeration. He's like, I'm not going to yeah, talk okay. now. My microphone is so sensitive; it was picking things up and making it sound like a like a like a vacuum cleaner. So I just told it to stop being so sensitive. Yay! And you actually Which probably man, offended it, and I'm probably going to go into like you know jail or something for it. Don't be whatever. so sensitive, right? It's going to take you to human resources now. You're yeah, going to have yeah. to go to sensitivity training. Wait, they don't call it that anymore, do they? It's uh. Then they'll then they'll watch this video training. and they'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll you know I'll go to HR. They'll, they'll they'll read me the whole complaint. They'll watch this video. They'll see I'm drinking, and it's just going to compound itself. And pretty soon, I'm not going to be able to, to podcast anymore. You're screwed, man. I think so. He was drinking. Game over, man. Over. Game over. Game over, man. I need now. I need a sound clip of that game over. Game over, man. Game over. Remember, yeah, not close prepared. enough. You know. Yeah, aliens. Uh, yeah, is it was it, for, it was from aliens. Okay. It's from aliens. Yes, the plural one. Good, good. The action movie. Now I'm now I'm getting not, picky because I, I noticed that I, I made the I made Mark's camera smaller than Jason's and now it's gonna bother me the whole show. Hey, good news guys. Apparently on Twitch we sound like chipmunks. What? What? I read the Jay Scar says we sound like chipmunks. You know what? We had weird issues with Twitch last time too. But it says YouTube yeah. is it says Jscar says YouTube is fine. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there. They're coming from the same source. <laughs> I, 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 you know, Jscar. The only the only way to fix this is to shout Alvin at the top of your lungs. Yes, yes. Now, now I want to know why. I'm, I, I'm I don't I'm not gonna go. We're not gonna live troubleshoot. I promise, Mark. We're oh hey, I'm joined by two of our co-hosts tonight. <laughs> Say hi to Jason and Mark. Who? <laughs> hi, Jason. I'm just going to try to not think about Twitch right now. Hi, Mark. <laughs> How you doing, man? So strange sur- that we sound like chipmunks. The two of us survived Nate's pickiness and actually ended up going live. Yeah, neither of you rage quit right as we were out to go live. That's great of you. Really good well, of you. I was, waiting for the, I was waiting to be live before I went to rage quit. Yeah. Alt-Q, man. Alt-Q. Ah. I'm or sorry, I can't four, do I that. I don't have an alt button on my computer. No? It's a Mac. Oh, command Q. There yeah, you see, go. But no, no alt button. Right. I missed the command. Did you see all that, podcast listeners? Right, right. <sighs> they didn't. I guess this means I have to monitor the YouTube chat closer. Because I just told everybody on Twitch to go to YouTube if they don't like the way our voices sound. I thought you had the channel the, federated together. Tell the interns Kinda. to go troubleshoot it. Okay, I'll tell the interns to go troubleshoot it. And no, the, the chat is unfortunately not uh, multi-chat. It kind of is, but kind of isn't. You know what? There's a barking dog. I hear a yeah, barking dog. The dog is not out. mine. Guys, Your microphone sounds like a barking dog. We're just going to have to cancel the show tonight. It's just a good, good, good night. <laughs> Wait here. Uh well that's okay because <laughs> in about an hour one of my dogs generally gets into her barking rage. So, you know, there there that, that there's a universal constant. Your dogs right on, aren't on the other side of the wall from behind the the podcast. No, so. but I can hear her and I'm on the complete opposite end of the house and one floor down. So, okay. yeah, it's frustrating when she gets into the, one of those friggin' I don't think I knew you had dogs. Oh, I have dogs. I've, I've, I've never heard them on the on the podcast, so I, I was not aware. They're, they're small. I've met them. They're small. And oh, cute. so they they and yip. Yippy. They don't actually bark. Yeah, I think that's the problem. The yip. Uh, the yip carries more. It goes. Dogs yip bark. Cats yip. Wait, cats yip. Yip makes it sound like it's quiet. They meow too. Cats but. don't yip. Anyway, it's not a, if if you don't, if you don't hurt your back picking it up, it's not a dog. What do the fox say? There's a song about this. There is. Anyway, anyway, we're here to have a show, right? 
I think we're going to have a show. We are having should a show. It's very entertaining so far. We, yeah, it is. It is, right? Right? So uh, we, we promised a show about sea groups. And uh, sea groups, those are those are those things that, that fish swim in, right? In the ocean? Uh, no. No? Not at all. Okay. Are you about to school no. us on sea groups? Har, I'm, har, I'm har. finished here, man. <laughs> All right, so uh, I don't know how much of an introduction Mark really needs here, uh, but Mark does this great technical presentation, uh, like a technical lab, really, on C groups, and we've we've gone back and forth about offering that to Iron Sysadmin uh, listeners. That's like somehow, right? And we just never got around to it. So, um, it, for lack of a better topic tonight. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think thought, we're just going to have a conversation. Right. I thought it might be fun to just talk about C-groups. Maybe this may even lead to people being interested in learning more about C-groups, and then we can run your lab, Mark, right? So, yeah, um, it's fine. I asked Whatever Mark works. if he'd be able to talk about C-groups tonight, and here we are. We're going to talk about C-groups. So um, I'm just going to hand it off to you, Mark. Go ahead. Talk about C-groups, and we will ask you very intelligent questions and not heckle at all. Right? Yeah, uh, sounds good. Nate doesn't speak for me. Yeah. And, and I didn't I didn't think he <sighs> I didn't think he did. <laughs> so what's a C group, Mark? What's a C group? Okay. So C group is short for control group. But let's let's like step back for a moment, right? Okay. Because we can talk about random technologies, but what what I always try and and tell people when we're talking about a computer topic you know, about a particular tool or a particular particular methodology or whatever, you really need to ask yourself, what are you trying to accomplish, right? And, and in the case of a C group, what what problem are control groups trying to solve? Uh, so for those of you who are listening who have never heard of C groups or control groups, especially if you're primarily a Windows background or really old school Linux background, uh, control groups are in the performance tool set. They are a way to manage and also report upon performance on a modern Linux computer. Um, what what has really happened, if you, if you look at the way uh, Linux computers have advanced over the past couple of decades, and this is funny because in computers, everything old is new again, right? Uh, when I was young, a computer was a huge device that filled a room. Well, now, nah, maybe they were a little smaller when I was young. You had PDP-11s and stuff. I, I was born in 66, just to give to give some... Uh, uh, context. What the hell's the word? Some context, thank you. Um, and so, you know, back then when I was when I was a ute, computers were essentially mainframes, right? And, and in their... People would talk about, you know, I, I have time sharing on a computer. The idea that the, the, the mainframe would split time between users and the jobs on it because they were too expensive for just a single person to be using, right? It, they just cost too much money. Um, in the 70s, when personal computers hit, they were significantly weaker, right? I mean, they could fit on a desk, but they couldn't do as much. And so when you look at your Apple II, you look at your original IBM PC run on DOS, that computer is basically doing one thing at a time, right? A single person's using it at a time, and it's running a single application at a time. And, and honestly, if you stay in the use case of most home users... Even though modern Windows is fully capable of multitasking, and it does multitask stuff even if you don't realize it, most of the time, on a personal computer, you're doing one thing at a time. Whether it's your PC on your desk, whether it's your gaming console, whether it's even your phone, right? Your, your focus is on one primary task. And yeah, there might be things running in the background, but for the most part, it's doing one thing at a time. In the enterprise world, it's a little bit different. Uh, when I started with Linux in 2004 at the, at the Linux group at Merck, Linux was running on Dell pizza boxes, and we were running web servers. 
And while the, each server would have multiple websites on it, it was basically, they were running Apache and then a couple of utilities. And when the web group wanted to stand up a new set of websites, they'd buy more physical hardware. We'd rack them and stack them, lay down the OS, and bring up more instances of Apache. But you still essentially had, you know, Linux could, could multi-user, you know, more people, people could log in more than one person at a time. But for the most part, you were still running basically one thing per Linux server, one real application, right? Now, at that time, Linux had inherited some of the tooling and some of the concepts from other Unixes. You guys might be familiar with the concept of, of uh, nice in a process. We're on a multi. We're on a multi-user box, or on a, multi, uh, a not even multi-user on a box that can run more than one program at a time. For Linux, you've always been able to to like re-nice a process. Where nice is a scale from positive twenty, which is the least priority, to negative twenty, which is I demand as much CPU as I possibly can get, and you could reweight the processes to try and share the resources on the box. But I don't know if you guys ever messed with that. It was never really straightforward, and it was tough to do persistently. Nice. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, and it was always kind of, it always felt kind of janky to me. It was, a like very, it, wasn't, it was a very point in time thing. This this thing right. is, is, is just like bringing my machine to its knees. Let's, let's put it through nice. Let's nice Man. it. And uh, all of a sudden, and, it's it's not as not as uh, well. It's not as not nice, <laughs> right? And and more importantly, like re-nicing a process still couldn't stop it from essentially gulping down all the CPU on a box by mistake and freezing the machine, right? Yeah, essentially, if I understand it correctly, what it would do is it gave other processes priority above that one. So other processes could do it's things, right. but this one could still overrun the box. Yeah, it could still happen. Yeah. It was it was moderately rare, but point being that for quite a few years in Linux, you you had tooling that was kind of legacy, right? And you had user limits, which you had to you could set user limits for shell sessions, and if if users were clever, they could get around them. You know, oh, I can only open this many files as as well. I can open up a you bash that, whatever. You, you can kind of sometimes get around that stuff. And what was happening as Linux evolved, you started to see virtualization happening on the x86 platforms. A lot of that at the enterprise level was VMware, but there were other players too, right? You had some open source variants for a virtualization. But the idea was you were taking this one physical box and you were slicing it into smaller computers. And, you know, that the hypervisor would, would basically manage each of these virtual machines as its own set of resources. And that sometimes got a little flaky. As time went on, you then ran into containers. Like, Docker hit the scene. See, Jason, I mentioned Docker. Yeah, happy night. And containers are essentially... You know, if if virtual machines were slicing up one piece of physical hardware into smaller systems, containers, Docker containers, were, were taking that a step further. You you could isolate uh, applications inside of their own containers inside of an operating system and slice it up even more. In other words, you had you had the enterprise IT world consolidating multiple applications onto onto pools of hardware and you needed a way to share the resources more effectively. All right? So th there's our problem we're trying to solve. Linux was based on a lot of the multi-user Unix concepts, but the tooling to really share resources on Linux was not great. So Google 2006... Two engineers there, Paul Minaj and Rohit, Rohit Seth, they started a project called Process Containers. That, that was their original name for the feature. And they based it on a Solaris feature called Zones. So, so like most things on Linux, a 
big, an older Unix brother did this shit first. So Solaris had zones in 2004, which featured resource groups, which essentially provided uh, C group functionality. And we'll, we'll talk about what C groups actually look like in a few minutes. But but Paul and Rohit were like, you know, Google. If you really look at what what Google was doing, they they built their business on building like farms of systems and whatnot, yep. and like just distributing workloads and trying to manage those workloads. There were the and. You know, out of Google came the work on Kubernetes. You know, Docker came up with the idea of putting stuff in a container, and the guys at Google came up with the idea of managing these containers with Kubernetes, which, of course, led to OpenShift. But these process containers, which started as an internal project, uh, got renamed to control groups, or C groups for short, and landed in the Linux kernel in 2007, about a year after they developed them. Right, and and that kernel version for those of you who care about such things was kernel two point six point twenty four. That was the very first Linux kernel that featured C group controllers. Ah, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days. Right. So since since I work for Red Hat, very open about that. Right, I talk about things in terms of Red Hat, but you know you can say CentOS as well. You first saw C groups appear. Um in rel 6 and 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 so that's all right if you were running kernel 2.6.24 or higher you had control groups right control groups are essentially built into the kernel itself now it's up to the distributions to provide tooling around control groups so that non-programmers especially could use them and so in rel 6 red hat uh, shipped libc group and tooling so that you could actually set up c groups without having to poke around virtual file systems by hand and mess with you know the individual files in there but the tooling was not enabled by default so even though uh even though rel 6 had c groups out of the box you needed to if you wanted to use them effectively you had to install the c group tooling and enable it, and then start setting up C group rules. So out of the box, RHEL six didn't take advantage of C groups. Um. So at the the, the most popular C group controllers, right? The the C groups are kernel controllers. The ones we really have talked about through the years that have always been available and the most useful started with RHEL six were controllers for the CPU, for memory, and for I/O. There is a network C group controller, but that one a lot of people aren't comfortable messing with because networks tend to be fragile enough as it is. And wrapping the C group around that, you can do it, but it's it sometimes leads to not a great experience. Um, and the idea here is that when you launch a process on RHEL 6, you could put that process inside of a control group. And once that process was inside of a control group, that process and all of its children would be in that control group. And that's a very important concept. Because if you put a user session into a control group, that user can never exceed their, the, the limitations you set on them, even if they log into multiple bash sessions. So that or, hungry, or, or, hungry user can't... Uh... That hung- yeah, they can't get around it. What, if you put a user in a C group, suddenly they're, they're there. That's where they are. And, and you said that persists across several bash sessions, right? So if it's somehow tied to their login shell, if I SSH in 27 times and I'm limited to, I don't know, a gig of memory, all of those shells can only consume up to that gig I've been limited to? That... That is correct. That works out of the box on RHEL 7. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. You'd have to you'd have to set up the ruling properly in RHEL 6 to make that happen. But nobody should be running RHEL 6 anyway. I I know, but we're this is a little bit of a history lesson yes. too. You know, let old Uncle Mark drink his bourbon and give you the history okay. lesson okay. a little bit. Do you need a rocking right. chair and a an old dog? I, my cha- I can rock my chair and I got uh, I got Where's your cane? St- Friends in the office. Where's my cane? And a walker? I don't, have a, I don't have a cane or a walker, sadly. Give, give, 
comfortable slippers to put on? I do have comfortable slippers. They're right over here. Corn cob pipes. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, so the idea here was um, with the controllers. So CPU, let's let let's talk a little bit about what the controllers do, right? So the CPU can actually do two different things, the CPU uh, C-group controller. You can set up what are called CPU shares, or you can set up CPU quota, or you can do a combination of the two. All right. So the concept of a share is think of it as, as a pie. Um, all the CPU time on the system would be a pie. And if you have the Nate process and the JSON process, um, Wait, what, what kind wait, of pie are we talking about? Because this matters. It it can matter. We're going to say it's Apple, just for the sake. Oh, of I'm not interested. Stuff. You can have it all, Nate. Awesome! I love uh, apple pie. Cherry, blueberry. I hate cherry. Okay, uh, blue, pie. Both of those are okay. Blueberry, I like. Okay, we chocolate? can agree on blueberry. We can fight chocolate over pie's blueberry. Good. Like a like a chocolate pudding pie. How about Boston P cream pie? pizza? Boston cream works. Boston cream pie. Okay, there we go. Right. I'll be right back. I'm hungry. <laughs> All right. So with, so with CPU shares, you're given an arbitrary number as your shares. And the default in RHEL 7 was 1024. What's special about 1024, by the way? Uh, that's that's up two to the eighth, right? It's, yeah, it's a power of two. It's a power of two. Okay. It's a power of two. I was looking for more like meaning there. You just wanted a power of two. No, right, no, good. no. It was a little bit of a trick question, right? So um, most, C, most uh, C, CPU shares are given in powers of two. So your default would be 1024. So if you both logged on to the – or if you both wanted to eat the pie and you're both eating as much as you can, you would be – and you would both had 1024 shares, you would both be e able to eat – half of the pie. Now, let's say that I like Jason better. I'm the sysadmin. And I give him 2048 shares. And Nate, you're stuck at 1024. Jason could eat twice as much pie as you. That's not okay. So, yeah, it's 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 okay. You'll be fine, okay. right? What if I like the pie? Yeah, but 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 if you do it properly, you're not going to know that there's more pie available that's, to you. So that's you know, valid. Screw you. Yeah, you'll you'll be you'll be blissful. So so with CPU shares, what happens? Forget the pie analogy for a moment. As long as the system is not at under load, in other words, the CPU is not maxed out, every process can use as much processors as they want, right? Regardless of your share setting. Once the system hits 100%, the share setting kicks in. And so, in your case, for every two processor cycles Jason would get, Nate would get one. Because Jason has 2048, this is not Nate fair. has 1024. Where's the equality? We, we could have done the same thing, by the way, by keeping Jason at 1024 and dropping Nate to 512. So, as a system administrator, what I can do is I can set my CPU shares, I can tune them however I'd like, and... and what I'm saying is that under load, this is what the system's going to look like. I, I want to always make sure that my database process has this much CPU relative to all the other processes while the system is under load, for instance. But what, what the CPU controller does is it prevents something that used to happen quite a bit sometimes on RHEL 6. How many of you ever had the RHEL 6 system where it was so... The, the SSH daemon was so CPU-starved you couldn't even log in. Yep. Yeah. In there. That generally that generally doesn't happen on RHEL 7 unless there's, like, a catastrophic, like, like, v, like unless the system, like, is panicking. Because the CPU shares ensure that everybody gets some processor. It's just balanced. It might be slow processor, but you get some, is the point. You get some. Yeah. Now, quota... Quota works in a different manner. CPU quota says this is the maximum amount of CPU a process can get even if nothing else is going on. And quota can be higher than 100% if you've got a multi-core machine. So if you set CPU quota to 400%, that means you're limited to a total of four processors 
on the box. At a, you know, you can you can use up to four complete processors worth of attention. So we actually, one of my TAM customers on Rel Six, we solved a real world problem problem he was having with Rel with with the CPU controller under Rel Six. Their infosec team demanded they run this malware scanner, and it would kick on periodically. Well, when it would kick on, it would gulp CPU like a fat kid goes after cake or pie. It would burn so much CPU that the Oracle agents on the boxes, this was Oracle Rack, the, the monitoring agents that asked the cluster, are you still alive, would get CPU starved. What happens, Jason, when the monitoring agent doesn't respond to its buddies in the cluster? What's it wakes up the do? engineers, but when the engineers notice that it's Oracle, they go back to sleep. <laughs> right. And it wakes up the engineers because it fences the node, and suddenly you've got production downtime. So this, this security scanner, which was put on to make things better, was actually causing production outages. So what we did is we, we created C-group rules under RHEL 6 for, for, for the customer, and we limited, we put this agent in its own C-group, and we're like, you get 40% of a single core maximum. That's what you're allowed to use, ever. And they, the, 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 the crashing stopped. It went away. See, now, what and, uh, you should have done is you should have limited Oracle and let the malware scanner do its job, because and, that's and more the important. The malware <laughs> scanner has been running endlessly ever since. Has been what? Running endlessly ever since, because, you know, unless it takes it up never, the entire CPU, it, it can never, never finish. It never actually finishes. <laughs> that sounds like a somebody else's yeah, problem. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes, yes. No, but we actually, we, we found that giving the malware scanner 40% CPU gave it enough CPU to do its job in a timely manner, but also didn't fence the box. Well, that's good. That's good. Because, I mean, realistically, right? So as a sysadmin, I'm woken up at two in the morning because Oracle just got fenced because that freaking InfoSec team, uh, you know, their their agent took down the machine. My first indication is I'm going to uninstall your malware agent, Right. So it's it's great that you were able to find a solution that not only kept the production workload up and running, but also kept the information security folks happy enough because their agent is still able to do its job. And really, at the end of the day, theoretically, keeps everybody safer because it's actually scanning for malware. But but let's get real. The InfoSec folks are never happy. Mm. Oh, you're right. <laughs> well. Sorry, scanner, I can't. I do security too. Bitcoin. I'm allowed to make fun. Yeah, what yeah. was it? Was it Norton? Because then it would be uh, integrated with a crypto miner. I cannot. Yeah. I, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it was McAfee. Anyway, <laughs> Admiral, it was Khan. He put creatures in our bodies. No, it was. Uh, it was McAfee. Um, yeah. So, so, but that was a real world problem, and that was solved under RHEL 6. Now, with RHEL 7, um, one of the more controversial things that happened with RHEL 7 was the inclusion of System D. Um, yeah, but that's, pretty much that's when that's when everybody forked uh, RHEL off to you know not RHEL and uh, made made their own non System D. Oh wait, no, that was Debian. Never mind. Debian held off. Debian held off, but I think even Debian had. Doesn't Debian have System D? No, there, I forget which distro. I think it was Debian. Somebody forked Debian because they didn't want System D so badly that they forked it into their own distro that kept the old init system. That's fine. Yeah, yeah I right. tell you that's, what it was called, but I can't remember because it hasn't been in the news lately because yeah, it probably died. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's fine. But here's the thing: um, control groups were rolled in as a core component in System D. Like, you need control groups to run System D. Because System D, what it does is when it fires it up, it puts everything in its own control group. Of course, Jason remembers the name of the distro. It was Dev1. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then um, with C groups, what you can do is a C group can have children, can have child C groups as well. So when you look at a, when you look at a System D box, you actually have a couple of top-level slices. You've got user system... On, on a rel box, you've got user and system and machines. Those are the three default ones. User is where all, all user space stuff lands. Well, so when you log in, 
you're giving your own your own C group under the user top level slice, uh, you'll see things called scopes. Those are those are also part of system D and and part of C group. But um, every single user has their own individual C group. So as a system administrator, I can put settings on user C groups even when they're not online so that my more important users excuse me my more important users can in theory have more more or you know more processing power users are all equally important no they're not <laughs> um the the system slice is where all the services land you know the classic unix daemons so ssh has its own c group um cron has its own c group uh uh, Crony has its own C group. It's like Oprah. You get a C group, and you get a C group. So, so every single daemon run on the machine gets its own C group. And in the unit file, you can actually set the C group settings in there for CPU, memory, and disk. Now, right? when you're defining these C groups, you don't have to get into the minutia of how much percent each and every one of these services get, right? So it's like I have 100% of a pie. I don't have to divide that pie up into percentages that equal 100 based on how many services I'm running, right? It's smart enough to handle no, that for you? you? you don't have to do that. What, what, what you generally do, unless you use quotas, if you use shares. So a RHEL 7 system with C groups, you know, a RHEL, RHEL 7 system out of the box is automatically going to be more resistant to a single process or a single user hogging everything because every single process running on that box is in a C group that has a share setting. So naturally, your every single C group is going to have some slice of the CPU pies. Because again, most systems, remember, don't even have just one pie, they have multiple pies. Right. God, I'm going to just go binge eat after this. All kinds of pies. Right. And and most of the time, what you do is you don't go and tweak everything. What you usually do is, if you have a problem child, you turn his or her settings down. Or if you have something that's more important, you turn those settings up. Okay, that makes sense. And, and, and again, that's not like minutia. It's more like like you have X number of shares, and those shares are sort of yeah. figured out on so if, based on yeah. the, the system, not so, based on so, the number so of processes or something like that. Let's let's take a system that's an Oracle database. Why take my Oracle database, Oracle? please. Yes, take because, it please. Right? And let's say or okay, no, let's take some third party app. Let let let's take XYZ app. And it's got a module that fires off and it's a critical calculation. It like calculates payroll. What you could do is you could you could give that like 4096 shares, that module. And when it's not running, it don't care. But when it fires up, if the system's under load, it will get four times as much processor time as everything else on the system to make sure that it can run its job efficiently while the system's under load. Right, so that'll still give everything else in the system the processor time it needs. Now, if this job fires off and it's burning seventy percent of the available CPU, and other stuff isn't even closing that gap, it doesn't matter, right? But if somebody else starts kicking off jobs and everything, in the end, if all the processors are screaming at a hundred percent that critical job will still have four times as much CPU time as everything else. So what you do with shares is you is you do it with quota too, right? Make sure that this process always, you know, is, is capped, always capped at that. You think about it beforehand, and then when the system is in that under load state, it's in a happy place. That's how you think about CPU shares. And disk works in a similar manner, by the way. The, uh, the, the, the I.O. controller. Um, you need to make sure that you're using the right I.O. scheduler. You need to be using the, uh, I think it's the CRQ. Or is that the acronym from the Expanse episode I just watched? Close range. Yeah. 
But it's it's the one that they're one of the schedulers, and I and I talk about it in my blog. One of the schedulers actually allows you to use the control groups, but if you're using like the deadline IO scheduler, it 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 doesn't work. So you, that's where you got to be aware of, of using the proper IO scheduler. Uh, memory. So on Linux, you've got the OOM killer, right? Yep. When when and a Linux system is used, message to find. everybody's favorite thing. So on a Linux system, when it's out of memory and it can't, and a process tries to allocate more memory, the OOM killer will try and kill something else to make room, and it does this via there's there's basically a waiting system. You you can set the the, the priority of processes. But you can proactively stop OOM killer from taking things out like your database or stuff like that by wrapping memory control groups around either application or user sessions. That way, if that if that session ever runs out of its own memory that the C group has given has been given, the OOM killer will only kill crap in that session. So if I limit Nate you to two gig. And you start running too much stuff, it won't OOM Jason's porn session that he's watching. Six hundred forty. It'll just is all, all I'll ever yeah, need. It okay? Then that's what you're gonna get. <laughs> it'll just it'll just kill stuff inside of your session. Yeah, don't mess with my porn. What the hell? Right, it's right. That's stuff. a critical application. Important stuff. And 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 it's oom killer. Damn it, oom um killer. killer. Right. Yeah. So right. So the memory controller basically. T- basically is a way to target oom killer inside of specific c groups rather than let me pick a random process on the system that maybe i didn't really want killed like your database or your ssh you know right right um and actually you know with oom killer if it runs some people try and get around that by setting the the don't kill me variable on everything but then, if Oom Killer can kill something, you just the, run out the of system memory. just the system just kernel panics, and then everybody loses. So the memory, the memory uh, CP, the the memory uh, C group controller can help prevent that. Now, one of the one of the nifty one of the nifty controllers that I like is available in it's a properly available in C groups volic version two. Seagroup V2 on the Red Hat side um, appeared in Rel 8. Uh, the redesign, because what happened with Seagroups, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but the original Seagroup hierarchies and things like that, they were really over-engineered in a lot of ways. Like, you could do really crazy things, but people realized, wow, Seagroups are actually... There's almost too many options and too many ways that you can do things to really screw yourself up. We don't need them to be this complicated. So V2 was an attempt to redesign and simplify the hierarchies and make things a little more straightforward and easy. And um, on the Red Hat side, full full version 2 support, I think, beca- was became a reality in RHEL 8.3. And by support, here's what I mean. The controllers have always been in the kernel. To me, a supported C group controller means you can control it using system D, whether that's with the system CTL commands to, to, to do stuff on the fly or by using the unit files. And so today, the controller, the most useful supporters that are actually supported directly via system D are CPU memory IO and then one called CPU set. And CPU set's really cool for customers or users who are doing like very latency sensitive applications. What you can do, and you see this a lot in financial and and scientific sectors, you can say, okay, I've got this, I've got this, uh, this server, and it's got you know four physical core, you know, four physical CPU boards, and each board has like, you know, eight cores or whatever the hell the kids are putting in the computers these days, right? And you can set up groups of cores in CPU sets. Like maybe you're using a single core for 
some common administrative tasks, but you're using six cores over here for your stock trading application that needs like almost instantaneous turnaround of the transactions. Jason's wa Jason watching porn should not touch those cores, right? We shouldn't multitask into those cores with anything else. We've already established how important that is, though. Touching, yeah, so touching, yeah, touching those cores is a totally different type of porn. We don't like that. Yeah, so maybe Jason gets his own CPU set, his own core that his stuff runs on. And so by setting up a CPU set and putting, and putting stuff in that C group, that means that those processes are guaranteed to run on those cores... And you can basically make it so nothing else is run on those cores. So what a lot of the what a lot of the financial guys and and the high late you know the low latency apps do is they'll reserve a core or two for the OS stuff. Like there's where SSH goes. There's where you know the backup utility goes. All this other shit. But most of the cores are the CPU set that's doing the like the financial trading or the latency sensitive sensitive application. And it's, it's a thing of beauty. And you can actually play some pretty cool games with this. If you've got a, a system that supports NUMA, where you can set your CPU sets up so that you've got the processes running in the, you know, together in the same NUMA node, so that the data and the process are right. They don't have to cross any of the... Uh, any of the uh, other bridges, the memory and the CPU are communicating directly because you've isolated via NUMA nodes. And if you're really nerdy, you look up the interrupts on your network card and you put your applications in the same NUMA nodes where that network interface is so that the shit goes right to, through the network controller that way. And you're crossing fewer lanes and it's a faster transaction. Well, they have they have uh, these crazy network cards that do shared memory, so that drops drops the packets directly in, bypasses the kernel entirely, drops it right into shared memory, so that your application can just touch that memory directly without having to ever deal with the interrupts. That is fantastic. So when you're talking about you know performance and tuning and setting up you know, and really turning knobs, C groups today are are one way to get you know deep into that on on a Linux machine. And again, it's not just Red Hat. Every modern Linux distro that's running System D has C groups, whether and you're using them whether you even realize it or not. Haven't even really touched containers, but C groups are a core component of containers, where you take a process, you isolate it in its own in its own container with its with all the uh, with all the dependencies for the application. It's in its own namespace, so it thinks it's on its own little computer. And on a Red Hat system, it's also using SE Linux for security isolation. But C groups are, are a core component for, for container applications. And in fact, if you look on the um, if you look on OpenShift, and I'm assuming other Kubernetes do the same with their with their UIs, you you can actually set up your CPU shares and stuff in the UI. That that's just using C groups. But like, yeah, give this container, you know, this many slices. Containers are getting more like virtual machines every day. A <laughs> little bit, but that's all. That's all using C groups under the hood. It's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. Makes yeah. it, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, this is more of a container statement than a than a C group statement, but it really takes, you know, that overhead away from the isolation you got with the virtual machines, uh, and puts them to like a process level, right? C groups are very much right. You can take a process and say you only get this much CPU, this much memory, uh, or based on shares or cores well, or whatever. And, and that's and that's how containers are doing. That is they're, exactly they're, how containers are doing. using the C groups for that. Yeah, and then right. namespaces, which aren't really what we're talking about right now, but they're they're sort of add they add sort of some of the security boundaries, correct? Yeah, namespaces basically um, isolate. How's a good way of putting it? You know how when we do our CTF and you're like all happy and giddy because the container you fired up looks like its own little computer? Yeah. That's what namespaces are doing. Yeah. It only you 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 it only sees the underlying file system stuff that you elect to expose to it. You're you're essentially natting those resources. 
So that's that's the actual magic of namespaces. And in some ways, namespaces are a little more magical than than C groups in a lot of ways. And I hate to say that, but but they're the, the namespaces are why you appear to be in your own tiny little miniature computer. Yep. So Jason, I don't know what's up, but we seem to have lost your camera. It says your internet is too slow. I can see me just fine, so tell, I don't know why. Tell your kids to stop streaming all of the games. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, we can live with that. All right. So, uh, did you cover all the topics you wanted? Is there more to talk about here? I I feel like I rambled through my bullet points. That's good. With with some cool commentary from you guys. But what I would say to our listeners, um, if you're interested in reading more, um, we always have the show notes on the website where the podcast lives. Um, and if you Google Iron Sysadmin, because I don't remember the friggin' URL. Who remembers URLs anymore? You just Google It's really something. difficult. It's com. Okay, so com. <laughs> if you go there and you look for the show notes for this episode, um, what you'll see is in the notes, I've got a couple of links there, right? Um, I wrote a whole blog series um, on, on Red Hat's technical account manager blog, World Domination with C Groups, where I walk through each controller, and some of them are kind of fun. Like, I have pictures of my daughter's stuffed duck, Mr. Quackers for when I did the IO controller. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but that, that a lot of people have, um, have given me, have said very nice things about that series. So, uh, Jason's at the risk of making bad. my ego swell. Yay, Jason, <laughs> give, give it a read. I'm told it's pretty good. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard uh, the same. I, I've linked to the rel eight docs, which is, where we, we teach our customers, you know, these are the official documentation on on managing, monitoring processes. And then um, I know this sounds like it could be a really ridiculous thing to point someone at, but the C group can, the C group kernel docs are actually really well done. They're very readable and they won't put you to sleep and they cover every single aspect of Groups. But do they have and any I've stuffed linked. ducks in them? There's no ducks, sadly, but they've got great technical information okay. that, again, I feel is very readable for someone of a, even of a beginner nerd level. They're, they they don't assume you're a programmer, so that's kind of cool. And so I've linked the the kernel docs for both version one and version two. And then there's a really cool comic. Um, Jason turned me on to this today. Uh, Wizard Zines. She she does comics on various technical topics, and her container comic has uh, has a piece on C groups, and there's a one panel on it that's delightful. I'm like, she basically is doing my my blogging, but it's with a cartoon with a, it's with cool. a single page cartoon. Yeah, they're pretty crazy. They're, they're surprisingly dense with information yeah. and incredibly easy to read and understand. There was I, I yeah. noticed she had one on the on the on how the root servers work. The DNS root servers work. Who who makes a comic I still, about it? Yeah. She does. I still don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no one does. <laughs> no one does. So, but what I would say is that, you know, some of the more frustrating problems in IT are performance problems. I've always hated them because they can be very difficult to diagnose. And sometimes you just don't really feel like you have the tools to solve performance problems. And... If you get to know control groups, you've got some new tools in your belt that can that can really help you in that. Especially if you're trying to manage content uh, systems with lots of contention. And you know, again, most of us are managing systems that are using System D. Yep. You've already got C groups. The default C group configuration is pretty sane, but you you can you can adjust it for what your users are looking for. And that's uh, that's a that's a pretty handy thing. Awesome. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully somebody learned something. I hope so. All right. So if anybody's interested in learning more about C groups, first of all, check out the show notes. There's lots of documentation in there. Uh, you can always reach out to us if you have any specific questions about C groups. And if anybody's really truly interested in running in, in going through this lab that Mark has talked about. And I'm, I'm volunteering Mark here because I know he's agreed to this in the past. So that's binding, man. You are now stuck I guess with this is. if anyone wants to do this. Uh, we, we, ha- we were trying to figure out how we could do these labs 
uh, through like a live stream of some sort. Um, if anybody's interested in seeing that or even participating in that, let us know, and we'll put the effort into trying to take it that last mile I, you know, to really you know get this worked pro- out. What we'd probably just do is we would probably just have a, a, a specific time and date, mm-hmm. and and we could just use Gmeet. We're allowed to use Gmeet for non-work-related stuff. We could do Gmeet, or just or, we could or, use the Discord uh, voice and video. Discord! Discord. Yeah, whatever. Discord! Bas- we would basically... Either ask people to sign up or even just, you know, show up on time for the for the event. But I'd like some sort of a sign up so that we know that people are plan are committing to come. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in that, please let us know. Either reach out Twitter. Let us or know. Or... Let us know. There he goes. You, you knew you weren't going to get away with that, Elsa. There he goes. There he goes. There he goes. Although I've start. I, I finally watched Encanto. Over the weekend. Catchy so, songs, uh, right? Yeah, we ain't talking about Bruno, man. <laughs> catchy, catchy songs. Although, I will die on the hill that Surface Pressure is a better song and we don't talk about Bruno. Oh, yes, that I, is I'm gonna, that is a very I'm going to have song. to Google who this Bruno is. My kids are old enough that I don't watch the that stuff anymore, so I, I've lost touch and I don't yeah, know who Bruno is. The sad thing is, so are Mark's kids, and I didn't stop him. Yeah. So many people were raving about the movie, and I'm like, you know, I, 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 I like Disney movies. I've got Disney Plus. It's there. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the music, and he's a national treasure. Like, it was, was just a matter of putting aside the time to watch it. That's the same person that did uh, that. Uh, Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah, that everybody was raving about. And, and Moana. You, you know what? You hear both Moana and Hamilton, the style, in the music from Encanto. At least I know I noticed it. Anyway, national treasure. That's that's Lived not anything about C groups, but we're about to finish up the conversation about C groups. Uh, so thank you, folks, for listening to our little rambling here about C groups. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to go to a break. If you uh, if you're listening to the first half of the show and you want to hear our housekeeping and chat and news, please tune in to the second half of the show. It should be listed in your podcasting app as the B version of episode one sixteen. Besides Delaware. B besides Iron Sissetman is kind of what this turns into. And uh, yeah, if you don't tune in for that, I just want to say thanks for listening. And if you if you want to support the show, check out Patreon, check out ironsissetman.com, really. That's the place to find all the ways that you can support us. And we're gonna go to a break. So let me find the scene and find the button. Here's the break scene. Here we go. All right, we'll be back in a few. Press folks. the button, Frank. 